Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Pair Program. Uh, I'm your host, Tim Winkler, joined by my co-host, Mike Gruen. What's what's going on, Mike? Not much. Uh, just back from vacation, so uh, feeling pretty good and relaxed. How are things going you, with you? You and the rest of the world. <laughs> exactly. Um, more out of office replies than I've ever seen in, in, in one uh, week. But yeah, that's encouraged, right? That's a, yeah. it's kind of the time of the year, the summer. Um, but uh, yeah, doing well. I love that we record these on Fridays. It's always a feel-good day. So. Um, let's, let's talk a little about, uh, what today's episode is. So we're going to be covering this topic of empowering teams. Um, some may categorize this as managing up. Uh, and, uh, on this episode, you know, we want to discuss, you know, with startup tech leaders, you know, some that have seen it also from like product side and the engineering side and here, you know, their direct experiences empowering, you know, their teams to kind of take ownership of their work. Um, so obviously, like understanding some of the best practices for driving change from you know this bottom-up approach. Uh, both of our guests have extensive experience in in leadership roles for you know multiple startups of varying stages. Uh, David and Anand, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you, Tim, for having us. Yeah. For sure. All right, and uh, of course, uh, you know, before we dive into the the meat of the discussion here, we're going to kick it off with a a fun segment that we call "Pair Me Up." Pair, pair me up. This segment is, uh, you know, where we all kind of go around the horn and we rattle off a complimentary pairing. Um, Mike, my friend, go ahead and, and lead us off. Yep. As I said, uh, just just back from vacation where we uh, did a little road trip. So my pairing is road trips and beef jerky. Uh, I just find that that is my snack of choice for, for a road trip. High in protein. Uh, stinks up the whole car. My kids love it. Uh, not really, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's my 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 road trip snack of choice. Dude, I did this one already. It's I've done road trips and snacks. You can't do that again. Well, but this is my <laughs> choice. This is my pairing of a road trip and a specific snack. Okay. All right. Well, let's get even more granular then. Like what kind of beef jerky are you talking? Like teriyaki or are you going with a... I mean, I can do teriyaki. I like, I like a spicy one. So some of the, mm-hmm. some of the spicier ones out there, uh, black pepper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, just keeping it, you know, not too, not too much, but you know, just whatever. keeping it stinky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever stinks up the car the most. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, love love road trips and, and car snacks. I've got to got to be a part of the ride. Um, well, I'll jump in. Um, I'm going to go with uh, changing barbers and guilt trips, um, just because you know I've always thought that it's kind of this fascinating relationship that you build with your barber over the years. Uh, I personally, I've, I've been seeing the same barber for almost seven years at this local barbershop around the corner from my house. And, uh, you know, it's a Korean barbershop and I've come to find out like it's, it's the, uh, the culture when somebody leaves or, or is let go for whatever reason, you know, you never really get the story as to like what happened. Uh, it's kind of a bit awkward to, to bring it up or discuss it with the other barbers. Uh, like they'll only relinquish so much info. Um, and so I, I went into my barber today actually to get my hair cut, uh, and uh, she was no longer there. Uh, and she had been let go. Cause like, I know her schedule and this was one of her days that she was in, she was let go. And so I had a, I had to trial out a new barber and this entire time, like I, I just had this overwhelming feeling of guilt. Uh, like I was cheating on my, on my previous <laughs> barber. Uh, and it's just an odd feeling. It's, you know, you build like a unique relationship, I think, uh, with your barber, it, you know, cause you see them so frequently, like on a, a monthly basis for seven years, uh, you know, I've been seeing this woman and, um, to have them no longer in my circle, it's like, something's missing. It's like, it's just an odd feeling. So anyways, for, for those watching, you know, this, this video version of this podcast, let me know in the comments if, you know, if we think Angela's, Angela's a keeper or not, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm uh, I'm still getting into it. It's funny because I went to the same one for about 13 years. Uh, they ended up selling the shop. Um, I knew the whole story, actually. Uh-huh. I, um, it's a little sad story, but whatever. And then I went to the same barber for probably six, seven years. And then she ended up moving to L.A. 
And yeah. I've been in search for a new barber ever since and have yet to find one that I really wow. uh, enjoy and click with and whatever. Like, I, I don't it's sort of like going to the dentist. I don't want a lot of talk. I just want to go in, exchange some pleasantries, yeah. get my hair cut. Um, you know, it <laughs> right. doesn't have to be a whole whole thing. Um, but yeah, yeah but anyway, there's a sense of comfort that, you know, like, you know, you know, they know what they're doing with, right, you exactly. know, with their hair. So, yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah, it's it's a little bit uh, bittersweet for me today, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll we move on. Uh, <laughs> we'll bake that into the the topic somehow. I'm sure. Um, cool. All right, let's kick over to um, to our guest, David. Uh, why don't you begin and just kind of give a brief intro and and uh, tell us your pairing? Uh, sure. I, my name is David Giorgiani. I am currently the VP of Product at Sage, a young startup. And I'm also teaching at the University of Toronto, uh, software engineering and entrepreneurship and communication. So that's my second role or career. For pairing, my first thought was uh, around food. But now that he brought up travel and road trips, I'm going to pair up working and traveling at the same time, which is something that mm -hmm. I've been doing for the past four or five months. Everybody thinks I'm on vacation, like when, when they hear like, oh, you're in Croatia. But the reality is... I do actually work a lot more than going out sightseeing because after a little while, like I've seen all the churches, like they all look similar after a certain point or like all the other places. So uh, anyway, so that's my pairing of choice today. And I got to try a new barber after two years in North Macedonia, which Whoa. I couldn't even speak the language. So that cuts out the small talk. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, talk about getting out of your comfort zone. You're you're in a whole new uh, country getting a haircut. So that's... did you just show them a picture? Like the... <laughs> I literally got a person who spoke English on the street to explain what I wanted, and the barber did it for me. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. That's awesome. So where are you right now? You're in uh, Macedonia. In, or? No, I'm in Zagreb, Croatia. This very moment, Croatia. I'm flying to Spain tomorrow. Awesome. I love it. Love on that, that note, uh, I may say here, but usually when I say here, I mean Canada because that's m where my mentally home is. So I just want I to see. clarify that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Good pairing. I like that. Um, let's kick it over to Anand. Uh, a quick intro from yourself and then uh, your pairing. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm Anand Safi. I am the director of engineering at Mark 43 currently. I am physically in Canada right now. I live in Montreal and uh, my parents are going to be focused on a little bit of kind of all the other things. First, I'm moving cities. So my first pairing is move and decluttering. That's been on my mind. Actually, I always feel I have so much stuff that I've hoarded when I stay at a place. Uh, the second thing is around food, which is a uh, burger and fries, which I plan to get once I wrap up all my move stuff, <laughs> uh, no burger and salad, just a burger, fries, and a pint of beer, uh, just classic. And I'm going to be changing barbers as of next week because I'm in the city. <laughs> so really mixed feelings. So I think we're all in the same space around barbers and, and our lives in general. Yeah, that's yep. great. Actually at half an hour from, or an half hour after we wrap up recording i'm going to try a new barber i have a, an appointment all set up and we'll see how, it goes. how timely we'll have to uh, regroup uh for a follow-up show maybe like tomorrow and just see how everybody's cuts turn out um i love the decluttering thing you know the decluttering pairing it's like um it's such a good reason to do it and i feel like it never quite happens when you're just comfortable in the moment mm -hmm. of living in your situation um there's always that sense of like a little more freedom of, of just getting rid of stuff because yeah. you just aggregate so much stuff along the way. But, um, and then who doesn't love a burger and fries? I mean, that's, that's a good reward for, um, you know, for wrapping up the move. So I, yeah. I, I yeah. love that. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Um, well now that, uh, we've, we've kind of wrapped all that up, let's dive into, uh, you know, the, the heart of the discussion here. Let's dive in. So, as, as mentioned, we're going to be talking about empowering teams. Um, and so, you know, as startups evolve and these teams scale, um, you know, it's important for leaders to be prepared for how to best form some autonomy amongst your team members. Um, and, you know, in, in startup fashion, there's always going to be a, a limited amount of resources during certain stages of, of growth. 
Um, and so with that, you know, with, with the limit of how many people one person can manage effectively and, and, um, you know, tr- how do you, how do you, do you, are you aware of what that limit is and, and, and those numbers of folks before you start feeling, you know, that you can't quite control it or, or you've lost a bit of, of that effectiveness? Um, you know, how can you feel confident that you can empower that team? Um, you know, the larger that they, that they grow. Uh, it's a unique skill set. Um, so we're going to break it down for our listeners, um, you know, discussing some specific examples of, of this and, and how it's done in startup settings, you know, how you find that balance of, you know, being the, call it the nexus of, of tech leadership knowledge and providing all of those answers versus empowering them to kind of help themselves and, and help each other. Um, Anand, let's talk with, let's start with you, um, you know, for context, maybe given, giving our listeners a little bit of background on, on your role over at Mark 43 and from a, from a size perspective and the, the, the number of folks that are on your team, uh, you know, what stage you, you all are at. And then um, obviously we'll explain like, yeah, you know, when you hear the, the term empowering teams, you know, what, what you think of, and then we'll, we'll jump over to David from there. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, so Mark 43 is a 10-year-old company with around roughly 300 headcount, uh, a Series E uh, private VC-backed company. I currently am the director of engineering for the CAD, that is a uh, 911 dispatch product division. I have uh, five teams uh, reporting into me, so that's kind of a headcount of 35 engineers overall, including staff engineers kind of uh, under my leadership. And for me, empowering teams is at two levels, actually. First is just because I'm in this manager of managers role, the immediate people that report into me, uh, I want to make sure that they're also a team of managers and not just a group of managers. There's an important distinction that they also at the peer level feel connected like a team. We tend to keep that typically as a, at a six to eight kind of direct report count. That is the ideal balance. We are really tr- striving towards six not more than six reports. Uh, and at the team level as well, right? For each manager, we want to have ideally six to eight people, which includes product design and engineering. So roughly four to six engineers per team in that regards, actually. And coming to the empowering part itself, uh, for me, it delves down to just uh, striking a balance between autonomy, as you stated, and then accountability, actually. Because when you give or, or kind of want to encourage autonomy in teams, they don't know kind of with that autonomy, whatever they're striving to do or, or willing to change, what are the parameters that kind of leadership or the exec team is looking to get out of it, right? So providing the team's clarity and clear kind of accountable metrics that this is what we expect, no matter how you structure it, deliver it, uh, sort it out, prioritize, this is where we want to move the needle on kind of a business nor struggle perspective, actually. So that empowering comes with a little bit of responsibility on both sides, actually. That is my present take on it as I navigate kind of the situation of growth and scale at our company. Uh, I'll, I'll stop there and then kind of yeah, turn it over to David for, for his thoughts. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, David, uh, a quick intro on, on, uh, uh, on, on your background and, and a little more context into you know what's going on over at Sage. I, I think it's um, super interesting to begin with of, of what you all are actually doing as a company. I think there's a lot of play into the, into our our theme and topic. So um, a little little context, and then uh, yeah, how how you um, envision empowering teams? Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Um, so I my title officially is a VP of Product at Sage. We are a very young company. I do work with four engineers and two product managers and a designer. And I'm new in this role. I recently started like, uh, I, I lost count four months ago, I think. And the previous startup, we grew and we were acquired. So there was some experience in the past as well. Um, the theme of Empowering Team is dear to my heart because uh, it is also something that I'm work- we're working towards at Sage. We are a platform that enables um, empowering individuals and professionals through coaching. So we actually match up uh, first-time managers, uh, people who are going through transition changes, or anything that mostly professionally that might be happening in their work lives to work with a coach and be able to kind of level up in some ways, right? And whatever it matters to them. So um, that's the relationship that, that we facilitate. 
Um, I think Anand talked about the two things that I had in mind when it comes to empowering teams. And the first one being clarity. Empowering means like the team needs to know where we want to go as an organization and where they want to go as a team and how each individual plays a part into that. And the second component of it being trust. They trust that they can make decisions, they can take actions. And even if they make a mistake, I'm not there to blame them or point fingers or anything like that or anybody else on the team. So um, that's the second component of it. And they'll figure it out on their own. I'm, I'm a lot more hands-off when I know the team knows what they're doing, when, I, when they've figured out they've got into process in a groove. Um, and I can be more hands-on when and if they need it. So they know that they, they can come to, for help, but also they know that if they don't, I trust that they are going to move forward with whatever they need to accomplish. I think your your last point about trust is an important one, and it's mm-hmm. one that we use at, at my company a lot. Is we talk um, not just about the trust, but also that um, allowing people to, the freedom to fail or the comfort to fail. Like it's okay to make mistakes. It's that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Um, it's what you do, right? It's like learning from that mistake and 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 growing and learning from it. And I think that's an important part of emancipate. You know, sorry, em- empowering teams. I like to call it like emancipating teams based on this book that I read. But like this like idea of like really allowing them to have a lot more it, it's because it, empowering to me is like you're still giving them power, um, which still implies that you, you're retaining some aspect of it. Whereas um, I really like to have the teams feel like that they have a lot more control, which means they have to be able to to experiment and feel comfortable like, you know, it's an experiment. Not all experiments go well. Not all experiments mm-hmm. are successful. And in fact, we tend to learn more from failed experiments or things that didn't go the way we expected than we do from things that go the way that we expected. So that trust aspect is an important part. Um, one of the other things I think, um, you know, Tim, you sort of glossed over in a way is like, I think there's a lot of people who don't really understand what it means to empower a team and to get, you know, they, they still, they talk about it all the time. And they think about like, Oh, well, if we just tell them the why and explain why what they're working on is so important, that's empowering them. Mm-hmm. And they don't really get that, like, there is this notion of like, no, they're the people doing the work are making the decisions and the decisions are much more bottom up. Uh, and the, and the ability to do that, I can't tell you how many like leaders I've talked to who think that they're empowering teams, but really at the end of the day, they're still the ones making all the decisions. Everything is run by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's, um, I don't know. There's that missing link. I think people just don't understand what the value of allowing the people who are doing the work to make so many of the decisions. Um, to me, I, I wouldn't be able to do my job. I wouldn't be able to scale if I had to be involved in all of the decisions. I care about a couple of things, and I trust my team to bring those things to me um, when it's appropriate. Otherwise, might move forward without me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. It's interesting. I've I've usually worked like well in my in my last so many roles. I've only worked with founders and co-founders, and I found a, find a lot of uh, founders and co-founders find it very difficult to let go at times. Mm-hmm. And initially, it was hard for me to understand why. Like, just let it go. It, we've got it covered and all those things. But the reality is, for them, they've built and spent years and years of their lives. So it becomes a little bit hard to let go. And to your point, like building that kind of like relationship trust from my side or like other leaders in the company will enable them to scale up as well, right? So that's been a, that's been a journey for me to go through in, in the past little while. Um, and I'd like to second that. And uh, before I forget, you mentioned the book that you read. I'm curious about that before I forget. Oh, Turn the Ship Around um, by... David something. David... L. David Marquette, I think, is is the name, something like that. Um, we can yeah. give it out afterwards, but yeah, turn the ship around. Um, great I, book. I just I just finished the book and saw the name <laughs> Emancipation. I was like, ah, how do I feel about this? I, I'm <laughs> exactly. Thinking, it would be a too too worry conversation. Let's put that aside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I I uh, want to also kind of point out too. I think. Um, you know, David, your example of you know, working closely with founders, I think this is a, a really fascinating uh, concept that is pretty common in seed to series A stage uh, startups. 
it's when you get beyond that level, I think is where this intricate uh, form of trust needs to kind of be uh, passed along from founders no longer maybe have that directly. Everybody's coming to the founders, right? At seed stage, like that's kind of the thing. Um, when you get to this point where uh, you're putting in that next layer and you know that it, 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 uh, it goes a- across a couple of different spectrums in terms of, you're right, the founders have to feel that comfort of letting go of, I, I trust that this, you know, call it director or VP, whatever level you want to say that is, can take our vision and values and, and make sure that that's relayed appropriately through the next wave. And that, that's the, I think, one of the most fascinating transitions. And that, that might be like A to B, uh, where, you know, you've, you've let go of those reins as a founder and, um, you know, you're instilling that trust that the next level is going to confidently, you know, bring on the next wave of folks. And um, I always, you know, I always think that that each stage of a startup has those intricacies. Um, Anand, when, you know, you're, you're in, a, in an organization that's larger, you've been with them for some time. Um, and you also are a part of a number of mentorship communities. Um, have you seen like any, um, I guess what, you know, where there, is there any differences in that level of empowering, you know, through those different stages where it might be a little bit more, um, intimate in that first handoff from the founders to the next level versus, you know, there's two or three levels there, like call it series C and beyond. I'm, I'm just generally curious. Yeah, I think to our point, the, as David rightly stated, right. There's a much higher um, kind of role on the founders part to play in that kind of C to Series A. It is their job absolutely to make kind of the person stepping into some of their roles and responsibilities to make them feel comfortable and day to day kind of showcase uh, that they are truly offloading kind of responsibilities, right? I, I often hear from folks that they say that, that, okay, yes, now you are driving this, but then there are still side conversations happening where decisions could be made. And then the person who feels that they're stepping into that, learn that, okay, the founder or character person who was historically leading it is still influencing the decision in one way or the other, actually. And that kind of causes this classic dilemma, actually, okay, how do I manage up? And that too, at that founder level, which is the highest level uh, for folks, uh, right? So that exactly is, I think, where it's it's much more on the on the founder to make people feel comfortable and known that it's it's really hard to let go, but you need to start doing it actually iteratively to reach a point in like a three to six month time where there's a clear division of okay, I focus on the strategic part, you focus on the execution part, or whatever that kind of uh, split might be actually. For post series C and D, it it's a little bit easier because because of kind of the team size and then there are many peers in, in the situation, your kind of day-to-day focus is a little bit fragmented. It's not kind of you're doing everything at once where you are doing not only kind of technical feasibility, a little bit of best app, a little bit of PNL, uh, everything you would do kind of in that C to series A ones. It's okay, you're more so in terms of we need to get more product market fit or drive more adoption or increase our kind of launch ARR. or you have kind of a, a finite set of goals or parameters that you will play in. So then it's not that difficult in terms of delegating kind of a thing or two as you yourself determine kind of your next career path and growth opportunity in that regard. So that is a little bit easier transition, but uh, the, the ones that are less, less experienced in, I'm sure it's incredibly much hard as, as I'm hearing from folks in the industry and, and from you folks. Hey, startup techies. Has this podcast inspired you to explore a new startup career opportunity? Then make sure to check out myhatchpad.com slash jobs to browse startups by stage, tech stack, and salary. I do think that there's some founders who I was, I was having this conversation over the weekend with a, um, with someone else. It doesn't matter who, uh, about giving up that control sometimes a little too early or, or feeling like, Oh, we hired this VP of whatever. They know what they're doing. So I do think that there, there, there is the other side, right? There is the, Oh, well, this person's got it. And this gets back, I think, and onto what you were saying about really giving clear guidance and metrics and like, let's make sure that we all are aligned. If there's good alignment, then then that freedom and letting things go is great. Um, if 
that person gives, you know, if the founder or whoever gives up a certain level of control to someone, but there isn't that clarity of are we actually going in the right direction, I think can be equally bad. So it is definitely, you know, I, I think it's a balance and, you know, um, that's an important one to, to strike. Um, but yeah. Building on what we, we talked about earlier, we talked about trust um, when it comes to the team members. They trust that we as leaders will not kind of like blame them or hold them to a mistake that they will make. I want to flip that over. Trust is on the other side as well, like me coming in to take over something from the founder, especially if we don't have a prior relationship or especially if they, don't, they haven't worked with, with me before. I feel like it's on me to build that trust with them enough that I can say, okay, David, I know what you're doing with this. And when it comes to this project or initiative or area, I'm going to let you run with it. And based on my experience, and I hopefully will get better at it, it will take months uh, to get there. And it's an active role that I play as a team member for my founder. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think um, trust is something that is, you know, without it, it the you know, it doesn't scale effectively. Uh, the teams don't scale effectively. But let's dissect trust because I think um, there's different ways of building trust with folks on your team. Um, I'm generally curious on how how you how you guys navigate this. Um, obviously, you know, you're 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 having conversations with folks, and I'm pretty sure. Um, are you both distributed teams or are you an under you in an office? I think David, you mentioned that you're, you're a bit remote. Yeah, I'm, I'm remote as well. fully. Okay. So um, yeah. How you build that trust when you, maybe you aren't physically in contact with these, these team members as, as you once were maybe, you know, pre pandemic. Right. So um, you know, what, what is it that you all are doing uh, to align this trust? Yeah, I, I can say for, for me, when I started in this role 18 months, it was remote entirely and it was pretty kind of new for me in the remote setting. I've historically been kind of an in-office person. So the number one thing for me was to show genuine interest, right? The difference between kind of listening and hearing when somebody was trying to just try to form a rapport with me or kind of form a bond in terms of knowing where their genuine kind of interests and uh constructive criticisms lie actually. So just wanting to make sure that I don't want to just hear as soon as I stop kind of saying something, I want to immediately rush to the answer or just kind of impart my wisdom thinking that I am coming into this role because of some specialized skills from the industry or something, right? I want to know exactly what are the constraints and and kind of context that they are coming from um, in that regard. So that genuine connection initially really helps a lot. And then for me, kind of Continuing to sustain that trust is, is simply around as long as we agreed on something, uh, let's kind of try to make sure that we are trying to do more or less the same thing unless we keep each other in the loop that's that something changed or we cannot no longer do, right? The number one thing, as you said, is right, like you want to have some sort of initial connection around clarity, get some information kind of bottom up in terms of, okay, this is what we want to do as a team. And then you go off thinking I've empowered the team, they are going to do it. One to three months later, you come and they end up doing something completely different. There's no communication. There were no kind of red flags or signals all along. And that is kind of where the trust equation kind of just breaks down a little bit uh, in that regard. So there is some form of routine upkeep and maintenance when it comes to kind of sustaining trust uh, between two parties or individuals. That's great. I, I'm curious with your specific story, David, you know, you, you came in, uh, to, to this role as, as VP of product management and, um, you know, anytime you come into a new company and a, and a VP, you know, level, um, you know, there's always going to be some, uh, unique feelings probably about how this situation played out. Maybe somebody thought that they had that role lined up, you know, in their vision or whatever it could be. Right. And I'm obviously just talking hypothetical here. How do you kind of, when you coming in to this new role, you know, build that trust with folks off the break, um, and kind of trying to align some, some strong relationships with not just your team, but maybe like, you know, folks uh, above you and, and cross department. Um, Honestly, I think I had it easy with Sage because like a, a whole lot of the folks that I work with are half of the senior leadership team is a coach, our coaches. So they, they're great at being able to kind of understanding people, 
building those relationships. So I had it easy, but I would say um, if in general, this is something that didn't come to me naturally as an engineer, the idea of actually focusing on building relationships, actually getting to know the person, what they care about, what matters to them, what they want, where they want to grow, how they want their impact. There's a lot of questions to figure out across everybody in the company. Peers, uh, in my case, the CEO, uh, which would be my manager, founder, CEO, and my team, right? So my first job, which five years ago, I wouldn't have bought and like my first job, I would think, build this tech or like make sure we solve this problem or build this product feature. Now I believe like I start with my first job is understanding the team, who's who, what they want, answering all those questions, building those relationships. And to what Anand said, start building those uh, projects or little things that can help building that trust. So they know I know what I'm doing and I'm here to be a team player rather than putting my ego first or having the name or whatever. Right. So those two things are the starting point for, for building that relationship. I think on that, one of the things that um, I found to be, there's two things that I think I found pretty successful. Um, one is really acting on feedback, right? Like if you're, um, if I'm providing feedback, this is especially true for people you're managing, right? If I'm providing feedback to you and I, you know, it's constructive and whatever, I, I am always requesting it. I know that I can do better. I know that there's ways that I could improve. Um, and I think one of the easiest or best ways to sort of uh, build trust with people is to really act on the feedback that they give you, right? Um, because that, that shows that you're not just listening, but you're really taking it to heart. Um, mm -hmm. And that's an important part, um, I think, of building trust. And then the other, um, when I come into a new role, like I don't know the lay of the land. I don't know things. Um, so I try to really do a lot of like thinking out loud or finding a group of people and saying like, hey, here's my thought process. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking about restructuring things. And this is the reasons why. What are your thoughts? Oh, that's a good point. You know, whatever. And really... And it's, it's really trying to be open about what my decision making is and how it goes into that. So that this way, you know, six months from now, whatever, uh, I might not have to be as involved in whatever similar decision like, oh, it's time to restructure the teams. Hey, you guys know what kind of I, I kind of care about. Why don't you guys go off and put together something that you think will work and, um, you know, that type of stuff. So I think that that's also an important part is that sort of especially in the early days, like that thinking out loud and brainstorming with people, whether it's people that report to you, your peers people that um, you just sort of colleagues that you work with. I spent a lot of time with um, our chief product officer um, not too long ago, just sort of like, hey, this is what I'm sort of thinking. And let me know when I'm going to step on your toes. And, and like, you know, otherwise, if, if, if left to my own devices, I might. And like, I think that that's a, um, I think that type of stuff is, is really important um, in building that trust is explaining where you're coming from and why you're doing what you're doing. And, um, and then over time, those conversations get a lot faster. Uh, you don't mm -hmm. have to have or not even as necessary. Yeah, I'd, I'd also add to that, you know, we talk about building a bond uh, with our team members. And, you know, I think about just in your personal life, right? Like, how do you build a bond with folks? You, you, you disclose some personal stuff. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't all have to be business. And I know a lot of people will tiptoe around this, like, I don't really want to mix my personal life and my business life. I think within a startup, you kind of have to. Um, it's a little bit more of this, you know, especially early stage, right? I'm, I, I talk about the evolution of Hatch and, you know, my first, you know, team member, my, my, my partner, COO, I hired him and he worked out of my garage and, you know, basically was using the restroom that's in my basement in my house. Um, talk about, you know, getting a little personal. Uh, it, it's the type of thing where I think if you don't let that guard down a little bit and show a little vulnerability, um, you can only bond with somebody so much. Like they're always going to be a little bit, just a little friction, a little on the outside. And so um, the best way that I've experienced with my team here at Hatch has been, you know, we, we, we have, you know, personal conversations, you know, we, we celebrate personal life events that are happening and we want to be a part of those experiences. You know, we don't want it to be weird of like, eh, I don't want my team members knowing that I'm doing this or that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's a, a line that, that can be crossed, right? But at the same token, um, that's what I've seen been the best to uh, really form what I call like the, the baseline of trust is like, it's not just, you know, from a business perspective, it's like, you know, letting your guard down and let them into some of, some of your, who you are as a person, person what you're going through, uh, I think is, has, has been valuable.
Yeah, I yeah. think you, you bring up that excellent point in the last, I'll say, right? The vulnerability piece that there's definitely some form of exact presence attached kind of with these titles that are a, a little bit higher fetching for most people who are still starting their career fresh at the individual contributor level, actually. So a lot depends on your demeanor, kind of your body language and how you make them feel or ease into these conversations. And, and that is why what I focus most in my one-on-ones when there is a situation that I have faced in the past, I focus on the pitfalls and the roadblocks that I ran into versus trying to sing about kind of or, or praise my own success or how did I overcome, right? That's kind of a, a segue into how do you empower as well? That is not solving the situation for them, but kind of just leading them to the next best thing that they can kind of think through or question or kind of just figure out on their own. So definitely caution is is a much safer kind of thing to so showcase and kind of build a genuine connection versus saying, thing, yes, I had that in the past and this is how I solved it. And look, I'm so good at it or I'm great uh, in that regard. Like there, there's a lot in terms of how you convey things in your past experiences can also help build a genuine connection with someone on on what side of you are portraying actually and kind of balancing that out. Yeah, I agree. My favorite stories to tell are the ones where I totally screwed up uh, and they seem to hit well. Uh, So uh, I think that's an important is an important aspect because I think, you know, again, it gets to learning from your own mistakes, but then also allowing other people to learn from from mistakes you've made. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. What about. um, Oh, go ahead, David. I was going to say, and I think it will help people see that, like, it will help me myself realize that I didn't start where I am today. Mm-hmm. I've, I've gone a whole lot of years of learning and making mistakes, right? For me, it's a good reminder to not judge my team member. Like, how could you make this mistake, for example, mm-hmm. right? It, I want to start from yeah. myself and then, and then the team member. So that's a good reminder. Yeah, I think the the one on ones we've seen, um, especially in in a distributed teams, you know, no longer do quarterly or monthly, you know, one on ones work. It's it's weekly, sometimes daily, you know. Um, and I know like meetings aren't always the best, but these these don't always have to just be meetings like about big projects. It's just like, hey, like what's going on? You know, tell yeah, exactly. Like kind of what you brought up, and then is like, you know, what anything anything that yeah you know, we can help with, or you feel like you're just you're not getting the support you need on, just let us know so we can kind of talk through it. Getting, getting those more frequent, you know, gets ahead of it beyond like that three month point where it's like, Oh, well, what have you been doing on this project this whole time? It's like, you can get it in front of that with more uh, frequent uh, connections and one-on-ones. But um, one of the things I wanted to kind of cut, uh, cut through um, was you know, as you're, uh, you know, growing these teams, are, are, are there any sort of like uh, incentives that you've seen work well or things that you reward, uh, you know, folks with um, that take on this level of autonomy or, um, you know, it could be financial or it could be, you know, just, I don't know, praise. I, I'm curious to hear if there's things that you all have seen through your previous experiences. I'll say it's it's around three main things for me, actually. Uh, Keeping the financial side aside, I've not really thought of that actually much when it comes to empowering uh, just yet. But the first is making sure that their work is is visible, actually, when they did take on kind of these journey on their own to figure uh, stuff out for us, kind of the decisions or the choices they had to make, the outcome. So trying to make sure that I'm trying to, depending on their preference, right? Some people like public praises, some do not. But at least in, in my circle of influence, making their work visible and known, that is really important. The second is trying to find opportunities which I can continue to provide to individuals and teams who like doing this kind of sort of uh, uh, project work and really are good at it, actually. Right. So it's my job knowing that what is on our horizon six months, 12 months from now, or, or what is the next big opportunity we are chasing. Trying to make sure I can align opportunities with interest is, is important. And then the third is just uh, holding my end of the bargain when uh, kind of they, they are facing kind of certain not so, I would say, positive experience, either a roadblock or a team dependency or something, right? I want to make sure that I am uh, kind of paying attention and, and getting it is resolved for them actually uh, in, in, a, in a decent amount of time, right? I just want to make sure that all I want to do is not 100% delegate and then just kind of not 
help them when they hit their first kind of uh, roadblock. I want to make sure I am there at each point where they can count on me and using me as an escalation point for from a support perspective or just from just chatting about things on how are things going or frustration, right? Like being that sounding board in, in some sense actually is, is also important to show that you're genuinely invested in them throughout the process and not just at the start and the finish. I think it uncovered a whole lot of topics. Uh, I'm not going to add much to that. No, no, no. It, it's great. Uh, yeah. You, you, you touched on a whole lot of things that I would think about. For me, the biggest thing is immediate recognition in the way that means to the person. Everybody has different drivers and motivations, and acknowledging mm -hmm. that, like I personally want just the sense of accomplishment is good enough for me. But some people would want public, private. Some people would want a little reward. Some people want to hear the word. Like, again, speaking their language, recognizing in their language is, is a key thing here, which I already talked about. One of the things um, my last company, um, I think, struggled a, a little bit with was there was a large portion of the organization that really loved like kudos and praise and was a very rah-rah team like sort of focus. Um, and for a lot of the engineers that sort of didn't hit the right notes they they're they're more of the like i just i want to do my work and i always struggle to try and communicate to the other parts of the organization like look my engineers don't care whether like th they know that you have no idea how hard or how easy the work they did was um all they want is to for you to use the thing like if i built a table i just want to see you using the table like, I don't need you to praise me about how awesome the table was. Like, for all you know, like for me, that table might just be I nailed four legs into a board and it and like it took me 10 minutes. But yeah. like, it's exactly what you needed. Just use the table like it wasn't ornate. It wasn't whatever. And like, I think that that was a struggle um, for a lot of people to understand, like the best way to sort of recognize the work done by some people in the organization was just to use the thing and give them feedback about how it was going well and how it wasn't. And not so much like, thanks for building this great table. It's like, it took me 10 minutes in the back with some nails. Like, it's not that big a deal. Um, and so I think that that's an important part of I, I can't remember which one or, or both of you said it, but like sort of praising them in the like recognizing people's work in the way that resonates with them is an important part. Um, a lot of um, I found a lot of engineers really focus on team. And so recognizing the team and the team's effort, because the fact of the matter is at this point, most engineering isn't individual contributors. There's pull requests and peer review and building on top of what other people have built and so on and so forth. And so it's very rare that there's one person who is really the person who should be getting the kudos or whatever. It's usually a team effort. Um, and so that's, a, that's also an important part. I can't tell you how many times I would get messages from folks um, saying like, hey, blah, 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 got recognized. But like these other three people were just as instrumental in getting that done. Um, and so uh, I think those are all important things, um, sort of not just recognize the individual, but the team and, and as you said, um, sort of in the way that resonates with them. Yeah, clearly that table wasn't from Ikea because that shit would have taken like four hours. <laughs> <laughs> you just had four legs in a, in a board. That's a cake, cake walk. Um, no, well said. I, I think um, I think you know we could we could go on and on about this, and and I you know we're we've already kind of mapped out. We'll probably have a couple of follow up episodes on this topic alone because it's just it, it's so relevant in um, any company, but I think within startups, it's super uh, in your face and you know very magnified. You know the the smaller the company, and we we like we like really tapping into that C to, to A, B uh, startup because I think that's where it's so dynamic and it's so quickly changing. And so, you know, that's really what a lot of like this community and this podcast is about is tapping those folks that are in those experiences that really, you know, can, can leverage this information because uh, it's so experience-based. It's not like something you just find it in a book and there's the answer. So um, let's, let's wrap up. Um, on uh, and put a bow on on like the main topic, and uh, we'll transition to um, this next segment called "Round Out My Career," where we spin the wheel behind me, and uh, it's got some some questions and, and topics that are kind of crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community, and uh, we'll riff on that for a few minutes. Uh, let's go ahead and give it a spin. Let's round it out. So oh, close to that giveaway! Close. Dang. You know what? Let's just. 
let's just give let's just give it away we're gonna give away a raspberry pi because uh we're feeling generous um nice <laughs> and then we're gonna i'm gonna pick a i'm gonna pick a um uh a category that's just kind of it's it's too perfect to not tap into it just because of one you know david the the company that you work for and then anon i know like you're you're joining like a new kind of mentorship community every it seems like every other week i'm seeing an update on linkedin so um i want to talk about mentorship and coaching um and it you know it's a it's a pretty good organic piggyback from uh this this uh topic that we're talking about but uh i'd I'd love to hear more just in terms of like yeah so for you know for like startup technologists specifically um you know when you're looking for a mentor um and i know every case use case is going to be different but you know what are some of the what are some of the traits i guess that you recommend uh you might want to prioritize if you're looking for a mentor uh that's coming out of you know or in a startup kind of ecosystem um you know i'm not david i'm not asking you to tell us the algorithm behind sage but uh <laughs> you know how do you all match you know i'm curious like just in general of like how is that matchmaking made um and what do you recommend so I'll, um maybe i'll start with I'll start with you, David, and then we'll pass it to Anand. Um, first, I would want to make a distinction between mentorship, advisory consulting, and coaching. I'm going to leave the advisory and consulting aside, but between mentorship and coaching, there's a big difference. And the same person could do both, but the experience will be different. With mentorship, what I look at is like I'm looking for someone who's done the thing that I want to do and who has an answer for the questions that I'm asking right now and the challenge that I'm dealing with. Right. An example might be scaling an engineering team or even building a product on, I don't know, AWS, SageMaker, whatever that might be. Um, so that's mentorship. With coaching, it's a bit different. The coach doesn't need to have done the thing that I want to do. The coach approaches the conversation with curiosity, open mind, and asks the right questions in a way that helps me find my way. So my coach doesn't need to be an engineer or former engineer, right? So, and then now for me, I have coaches and mentors and the way I look at them are different, but I want to pause here in case Sinan or anybody else want to add anything. I think that is absolutely wonderful. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I do have different mentors and this, whenever I hear like finding mentors, I remember uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In book where I think she has a chapter, if I remember correctly, like, are you my mentor? Like essentially looking for that long lost mentor that you've never had. And I don't remember what she says exactly, but what I found to be helpful is when I look for a mentor is like, I look at the challenges that I'm having right now and try to find people who can answer that question for me and are willing to answer that question for me. And I don't approach it as like, hey, will you be my mentor for the next year? I approach it like, hey, so-and-so, I see you've done this and this, and I have a question in this area. Give them clarity about where and how they can help me and give them the offer to have a conversation so we can have that conversation. And from there, do I get the answer? Are you talking the same language? Is there like chemistry even for that's a relationship at the end of the day? So, and then first question, second question, fourth question, and then six months later, a year later, you're like, oh, here's my mentor. I, in this area, right? So that's how organically I found that things can work out for me. I couldn't agree with that more. Um, awesome. I was like the organic growth. Um, that's how, like my first mentor, I didn't realize she was my mentor probably for five years. And then I was like, holy <laughs> shit, I think, I think she might be my mentor. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I keep going for the, to this woman for advice and she, <laughs> it's working out really well. <laughs> There you go. Um, so yeah, couldn't agree more with that sort of organic, like you just have these conversations with people who are maybe a little bit ahead of you or have done the things that you want to do. Um, I found like a lot of time, a lot of cases, my mentors actually haven't been technology, like the VP of engineering types. They've been product mm-hmm. people or sale, you know, in other parts of the organization, but have had enough ex- similar experiences with what I'm trying to do um, that, you know, mm-hmm. that they can relate and they can articulate it and they can see they've worked with other people who have been in my shoes and can articulate what those people have done as well. So it's not always about like finding that VP of engineering mentor, right? It could be, you know, the, the two mentors who I had for the longest, who had probably the most impacts on my life. 
one was a CEO. Um, one was she started as director of product. She eventually became COO and then CEO of different companies. But those were the two people who probably had the most impact on me from a mentorship perspective. And neither one of them were ever like VPs of engineering or directors of engineering or, or really overseeing anything other than like the didn't oversee day to day engineering. Um, yeah. So. Did you seek them out, Mike, or did they just organically kind of were part of your journey? They're part of my journey. So um, both of them were people who at one point um, were in my line of reporting. Um, I don't know that I I think in both cases, I directly reported to both of them at some point. Um, But while I was while they were my manager or my boss or even my super boss or whatever, right? Like they weren't my mentor. They were my boss. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't until I left an organization and then continued those conversations and kept up that network, um, that's when they sort of transitioned into being my mentor, right? It's because they, someone who is your boss can't be your mentor. I think that's a, you know, in, there's coaches, there's mentors, and there's managers. Um, I can, I can coach people, I can, men, you know, sort of mentor the people who report to me, but I can't really be their mentor. They, they need an outsider perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an important thing. Yeah. Good point. And, and good distinction, David, with um, the, the difference between mentor and coach. I think that's, yeah. that's a good point to bring up. Um, how about yourself, Anand? Yeah, I think I actually just before this, I was in a meeting where we are rolling out our mentoring program for engineering. And we went through because this is our first time we went through this kind of matchmaking process by hand. And we made sure that there is nobody in direct reporting lines because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of why we want to do this in the first place. And at the same time, we wanted to make sure, as David was saying, right, like we are trying to collect uh, information on both sides, like interests in terms of what you feel you're good at mentoring based on your past kind of accomplishments and career focus. And what as a mentee, we would like to seek actually in a mentor. And based on those kind of responses, we went through the process basically of aligning interests on both sides, because there is kind of two ways to structure this. There are, there are some people whose responses were very targeted. I want to go in this area of DevOps or I want to learn this tool and technology. But there were people who were generally more theme focused. I just want to learn how to transition or, or into kind of um, individual contributor to management or how do I navigate change in growth stage companies actually. So that's why we made sure that our kind of question set was focused on both either specific or kind of theme-based because that is also something that people kind of depending on what stage they are and kind of what is on their mind currently might seek different things. So we wanted to make sure it was as kind of effortless as possible for from their side, like no surprises uh, when that actual pairing happened to keep their interests in mind and also kind of just uh, ensuring that there's nothing that is related to their direct team or reporting lines for the obvious reasons as, as Mike was implied. I'm curious if you guys have seen if there's any type of like generational or type of difference in terms of how companies are approaching mentorship. Like I like all of mine was always organic. There was never I never worked at a company, even the first of all, I never worked at a super large company to begin with. So there wasn't that didn't really have that ability to have mentoring. But I'm curious if there's just more expectation of people that the company is going to supply this or maybe not even expectation. But like, I'm just curious if if we're seeing like a little bit of a shift in in that expectation of individuals and engineers sort of getting mentorship at their company. Um, and that's being somewhat uh, like a benefit that's provided to them. Yeah. So I'll say like for us, the reason that we thought about kind of starting a mentorship program was a, we now have a learning and development practice, like as a recognized discipline in the company. So we have a team leading that effort and we want to focus kind of directly from an organizational perspective, a little bit more structure around career development. There's definitely a lot of mentorships happening in teams or kind of cross skills, actually. Like there is on the back end side, there might be people who are mentoring each other. But what we have found is that happens kind of uh, situationally or just as a one-off building block, right? In terms of I'm, I'm kind of blocked on this thing or I want to learn this new technology or I want to solve this problem. And then it, it happens and you keep on going to that same person. But it's very situational based and kind of it dials down. How does that kind of series of conversations or the topics you or problems you keep on solving, how does that kind of connect to a theme or kind of an area that you would want to invest your career or growth in? Uh, maybe you 
always ask kind of about DevOps, uh, even though you are focused on the front end engineering side. So you want mentorship on, okay, how can I be focused actually on this holistic thing that where I can write code, but also learn a little bit more about build and deploy maintainability actually. So that is where kind of we are trying to put more structure where people can have a good framework to have continued discussions rather than these one-off moments and kind of having your immediate people to go to ed- seek advice for, which is mentorship as well. But it's, it's a little bit more kind of on and off depending on the week or the team or the situation you're dealing with. Yeah, that's a really neat program. Um, it sounds like it's also like kind of scratching their own itch, uh, considering they're they're rolling out this like a learning and development uh, department. So I think it's a a very creative way of of baking that in as a perk, but also like satisfying some business goals. It's really neat. Um, and uh, you know, I'll I'll kind of like uh just kind of put my last two cents in it as well, and then we can kind of um wrap it up. But um, David, I think you kind of hit it on the head as well. And you're talking about like when you're looking for a mentor, you're looking for somebody who's who's done like what I'm looking to do and who's done it before, right? And so for me as a as a, a founder and CEO, you know, going going from a company that, you know, a year ago was nine team members and, and today we're 24, I was very like specific and and trying to seek out somebody who's run like a services business and taken it from that 10 to to 25. Um, because I think that again, like goes back to some of the things we talked about of like, there's some really unique challenges that come along the way in that gross, gross spurt. And then I'm going to probably need a, a mentor that's taken that from 25 to 50 leap and, and really kind of dissect, you know, um, I'm lucky in the sense like our, my, my main mentor, and we also would look at him as like a, a strategic business, like growth advisor has taken a services company you know from scratch to currently at 75. And so I'm fortunate in the sense like one we knew each other at school and um kind of you know shared co-working space at one point so we really formed that trust and that and that kind of bond but at the same token too like I know like I don't necessarily need to go seek somebody else out until I you know until maybe that 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 75 point gets hit and then maybe there's some other challenges that that you know he he doesn't know about that that might come come about but i can't tell you how uh you know grateful i am to to have him in our corner and it's just this sense of like um you know it's almost like getting the test notes before the test it's like oh you've you've kind of seen you know this scenario play out like please tell me what you did i'd love to hear your two cents and it's not always going to be that they did it the right way but at least they can tell you some things to expect and i um, I would just say like, there's, there's, there's a, there's a level of discomfort that comes with, you know, uh, serving as a founder of, of the unknown of what's to come. And if you don't have that, it's so much more difficult. And I wish I would have had it earlier, but I, you know, it, it was a little bit later in, in our evolution that I, that are picked up on it. Um, but I think, um, you know, there's, there's, there's gotta be, you know, these networks and communities that are out there, which we'll, we can rattle a couple of them off. We're actually putting an article about that. Um, uh, that that's helpful. Uh, one of them being, you know, Rand's um, leadership Slack community, which is actually where David, that's where you and I kind of first connected, uh, was in that community. And um, there's a there's a few more out there. If you all, you know, spit, have them at the top of your head that you can just rattle off just for our, our listeners. I think Plato was one, or Round was another one um, that you just recently joined. Is that right, Anon? No, the one I, yeah, Round was the one I joined. Around mentorship, there is, yeah, the peer group of uh, RLS, uh, Rand's Leadership Slack. The platforms that are out there are Plato, Mentor Cruise, uh, there's Best Practicer. Uh, and so those are the three that kind of I actively take a part in. Yeah. If you want to look at the list of all the good mentorship platforms, just look at Anand's profile, LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Um, all right. I think that's, I think that's everything guys. I mean, this has been a really uh, awesome discussion. It, it feels like it's just flown, you know, so naturally, uh, cause I think we picked two perfect guests to join us. Um, so really grateful for your time. I think it's a testament to the types of folks that join the podcast and, 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 uh, you know, contribute are, are those mentor folks, the, the ones that 
really appreciate giving back to others. Um, they usually have seen some of that along their career and they want to reciprocate. So much appreciated that you all came and, and joined us on the pair program. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Are you a startup founder or tech leader looking to grow your engineering or product teams? If so, Hatch IT could be a partner worth exploring. We've helped hundreds of startups scale their tech teams with relational and marketing-driven recruiting solutions. Check out hatchit.io hire to learn more about how we can help your teams grow.